ninja, ninja, ninja. Super Sentai Brothers. This is episode 32 of View to a Kaka Ranger, the internet's best and only podcast dedicated to Ninja Sentai Kaka Ranger. Each week we watch an episode of the show and we share our thoughts with you, the listeners. My name is Matt J. With me as always is my co-host and brother Dave. Dave, how are you doing today? I am, uh, I am pretty wiped out, dude. Oh yeah? What's Not new? gonna lie. Yeah. So, um, so my wife and I, Beth, are recently we recently got certified to be foster parents oh yeah that's and, right uh yeah and we got our first placement i appreciate you maintaining the fiction of this map that you don't already know what i'm what i'm about to say we recently got our first placement and uh it's four month old twins oh so yeah, I, I can imagine you would be pretty wiped yeah, we had not planned to take more than, like, you know, one baby at a time. That seems reasonable. Sure. But they called us and they were like, well, could you take twins? And, you know, I'm not going to be like, well, I'll, I'll take one of them. So we have we have two twins. So the week has been a flurry of activity, acquiring another one of all of the things that we already had in preparation for a baby. And, uh, and I'm wiped out. So, so I'm going to bounce. Oh. Good luck. Okay. Well... Um, well, listeners, uh, as, as you may have guessed, we have prepared for this eventuality. And so, um, this is not an episode of the Super Sentai Brothers. This is actually an episode of the Super Sentai Buddies. Um, and joining me this week uh, for the first, I think the first time we've ever done this show without both Dave and I on it, um, is producer Mark. Hey, man. Welcome. I was thinking to... about that earlier today, too, that this is the first time we have had an episode that does not have both of you guys. I mean, it'll have Dave in the intro, obviously. Sure. But yeah, this is a, a major change in format for us. Yes. And so here's what we are doing today. Um, we are not going to watch Ninja Sentai Kaka Ranger. I know. Right. I know you're all disappointed. <laughs> Listen, I'm disappointed too. Me too. I need to know what's going on because I watch live with, with well, not live with you guys. I don't come to your living room and watch alongside you, but I watch well, every episode week to week as you watch. And I need to know what's happening. The story is getting good. I know. We have finally beheld a new Shogun. Um, we got all the giant yeah. robots in place. Young Noble Jr. has perished along with Dr. Yagami. And now uh, Daimao is on the move. But we have to put that off for a week because I, I do not want to do that without Dave. No, no. It's just not right. Um, and so uh, instead, we are going to be watching a different show. Uh, a different Sentai show, which we'll we'll get to as the fifth star. So let's circle back around right. to that. That sounds that sounds like a reasonable plan. I have to tell you, 
Young Noble Jr.'s death hit me a lot harder than I than I was prepared for. Oh, dude, me too. I did not see it coming. Yeah, especially not this early. Holy cow. There's like almost 20 episodes of this show left, and I like that guy. I know, like the show is only, what, three-fifths done. And we right. only had Junior from episode, like, I think he showed up in episode 13 or 14. He's only Something been around like for what will eventually be, like, a pretty small percentage of the show, which is really bizarre. Right, and you you guys hit it on the, on the head last week when you were talking about it. The show really started to pick up when he came on the scene. Yeah, now I know there's another one or two characters that are still in the mix that we haven't met yet. And I don't want to spoil you on it if you are somehow unaware of those characters. But I at least know we have those things to look forward to. But yeah, it's we're going into a new, a bold, bold new era on Kaku Ranger. But I'm, I am getting yeah. ahead of myself here. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh, that That is my fault. I drug us there. Because usually I'm not on this end of the mic. And I had thoughts on Kaku Ranger. So, so, listen, we've all got thoughts on Kaku Ranger. It's, it is hard <laughs> to watch that show in a sort of neutral, unbiased way. Yeah. Um, but I think we have, a, we have a whole segment that we're supposed to get through before we get to the Super Sentai talk. Yes. So, Mark... Yeah. Welcome to our officially two-time award-winning opening segment. Mark, shining <laughs> in the heavens, there are five stars. What is our first star of the week? Man, first star of the week. Uh, specifically, a comic book title. I've been reading them Power Ranger comics. Oh, I've heard been I've been hearing good things about them Power Ranger comics. Me too, and I and I haven't investigated until very recently. Uh, but but on the larger scale, real quick, a hat tip to Boom Studios, who has just been killing it lately. Oh, yeah. Actually, if you are interested in the uh, Boom Studios Power Rangers comic book, the the main one, not the one that's just like the Kimberly like solo yeah, series, which I hear is also right. really great. But if you are interested in hearing like the behind the scenes stuff on the Boom Power Rangers main title... Um, our friends over at the Ranger Danger have a like semi-regular special episode feature called the Ranger Danger Boom Room in which they interview the author of that Power Rangers book. And it is well worth the listen. I mean, everything those guys do is well worth the listen, but. But yeah, Boom, Boom on the whole does like they've done work with Pixar. They've done a ton of stuff with the various Henson properties. They did a few years ago. They did a. Muppets comic book that was structured around the Muppet show. Really? And it worked surprisingly well. I mean, just really a great title. So it was like a variety show as a comic book? Yeah. Within the context of the comic book, it was a variety show. A little bit more kind of behind the stage storylining. But but still, it was it was a variety show in comic book form and it worked really well. Although I'm getting way away from my point which is them Power Rangers books. They are good, man. And I know I'm not breaking any new ground here. They've been running for about a year now. But what I did recently was discovered almost accidentally that Boom Studios has released a an iPhone app. I think a smartphone app. I think they have they have it on multiple platforms, but for my purposes, an iPhone app. And it's all just been downhill or uphill, depending on where your, your perspective <laughs> is, since I found that app. Because, man, will I spend money on comic books. Oh, dude, that that is the 
best thing about the Marvel Unlimited app is that right. I just pay them like I pay them their money in the beginning of the year and then I don't have to give them any more money because otherwise yeah. it is a dangerous dangerous <laughs> hole to fall into. But it is it is it's a really good book, really great art, and interestingly it I think and I haven't really uh, I mean, I'm pretending like I haven't really learned this. I've I've listened to the Boom Room. Uh, <laughs> it is it is set in a sort of slightly alternate reality. the The first book picks up right around uh, when Tommy has been redeemed as the Green Ranger, but it is kind of in present times. So it's the same characters and it's the same kind of backstory, but a slightly alternate reality take on it that is set in I don't know the twenty teens. Right. Those teens still have attitude, though. Boy, do those teens still have attitude. Oh, sure. I mean, listen, that is, that's an important component. <laughs> now, I know we tend to run long on five stars because I edit them every week. We are already <laughs> past the nine-minute mark on star one. So, Matt, what is star two? Okay, so our second star of the week is that um, I, and actually my other star this week is going to be another thing along these lines. I have been going, like, weirdly deep into some, like, not super old school nostalgia, but like 10 years ago-ish nostalgia. Oh, some good college nostalgia. Oh, yeah. And one of the things that I did is I pulled out my old GameCube yesterday, and Ooh. I switched on, for the first time in a long time, Super Mario Sunshine. Oh, man. Does that game hold up? Because I don't think I have played it since college, but at the time... It may have been one of my favorite video games ever made. That was a great title. Super Mario Sunshine is an amazing title. Like, and yes, it does hold up. There are a few, like, wonky camera bits that are just sort of endemic to its era. Because it came out 15 yeah. years ago in 2002. Jeez, man. I know. <laughs> that is a long time ago. Like, it is okay in my mind for the N64 and Super Nintendo and NES titles to be that old. But the idea that there right. was a 15-year-old GameCube game, and it wasn't yeah. even a launch game. <laughs> uh, like Man. Yoshi's Mansion, or I'm sorry, Luigi's Mansion is at least a year older than that. Yeah. I have um, to tell you, in the fiction of the Super Sentai buddies instead of Super Sentai brothers, I have just been imagining myself as the Yoshi to your Mario and Luigi. <laughs> Um, I don't think we ever, I mean, listen, it's probably fairly obvious, but I don't think we ever actually mentioned it on the show that initially the name, the Super Sentai Brothers was supposed to be a joke about it being Super Sentai, but also a Super Mario Brothers joke. And right. I was going to, and I just never got around to it. The logo that we use was originally going, like that was going to be a temporary thing until I really worked it out. And I was going to do a whole like sprite-based thing that had, yeah. like, Mario and Luigi as a Red Ranger and Green Ranger. And so it was going to be a very explicitly, like, focused, like, yes, this is Mario and Luigi, the Super Sentai Brothers. And it just it just never happened because I got lazy right, after I right. made up the logo that we've got. Well, it's a good logo, though. I mean, it, it works. Oh, sure. It has, it has. And the initial one was red and green, so it did still kind of have illusions. Oh, yeah. And that is why I used red and green for that one. Yeah. Uh, anyway. So, Mario Sunshine, how, how deep in did you get? I am about 10 or 11 shines in. I'm not nearly as deep. Oh, nice. So, 
In college, listeners, because uh, we've been friends with Mark for ages, um, in yeah. college, one of the first <laughs> things that Mark and I ever did to like really hang out together was we played through, like we sort of shared a joint file on Super Mario Sunshine, and we yeah, got right. one one glitchy blue coin notwithstanding literally everything in that game. It's the only game yeah. I've ever 100%ed. <laughs> That was a good run for me because we had, I mean, we've talked about this before, maybe not on air. The GameCube was an insanely good system. And right in that window, because I jumped in on it a little late. So in college, around the same time, we had Wind Waker, Sunshine, and Metroid Prime all going. And you, like, you cannot beat a trio of Nintendo games for quality. Like, And that's not even talking about Double Dash. Oh, dude. Well, double, listen, Double Dash is the only, Double Dash is the only video game I'm good at. Like, I like playing video games, <laughs> but the only video game that I could, like, feel good about, like, competing against other people who are, quote unquote, good at video games was when you and I played Double Dash together. That's true. We we made a formidable team to the extent that at one point, just to sort of challenge ourselves, we started playing it upside down, not turning the TV upside down, but turning ourselves upside down. Yeah, we would play. Well, it was sort of weird because we were playing on like the mirror track, which is where all the turns go the other way. But we were right. lying on our backs looking up at the TV. <laughs> yeah. And so it kind of like rewrited itself a little bit. But it was that was a challenging, challenging time. <laughs> Not that we didn't succeed, of course. Right, right. Um, but anyway, that that is a a very long sort of deep dive on some old GameCube stuff. Uh, but yes, the game absolutely does hold up. Mark, what is our third star of the week? In a very similar vein, and I will do this spoiler free. I have been spending a lot of time playing Breath of the Wild on the Ooh. Nintendo Switch. Man, is that a good game, although that is not my observation, because saying a Zelda game is a good game is not, you know, we ain't breaking any new ground there. Every right. Zelda game is a good game. Right, particularly for this weird one. ones. What, what, what was the, the, the CDI? Whatever that, so there was oh, a weird, the I think Philips it was a Philips CDI, system. yes. Yeah, that, that Nintendo was going to make like a disk drive or something for Nintendo backed out of the deal at the last minute and kind of as as compensation for backing out of the deal, they gave Philips the license to use, I believe, specifically three or four of their characters in four games. So they had a weird Mario game that only featured like Mario and then three really terrible Zelda games that the only familiar faces, which are the only really two significant ones, were Zelda and Link. Anyway, right. <laughs> all of that nonsense aside, what I want to note about Breath of the Wild, uh, because as aforementioned, the entire universe is telling us it's a good game. Specifically, I've been playing it with my five-year-old daughter and with my wife. Okay. And that is a, a challenging concept to put together not because not because it's hard to think of playing video games with my daughter i play video games with my daughter all the time but to create a game that we all three of us can enjoy and find challenging and play together is pretty mind-bending especially when it's a one-player game it, yeah right it's 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 really it's just it's such a well put together game it has you know nintendo 
when they are on their game, they are just perfect craftsmen. And that's what they have done. They have just crafted this game so well. And it is so fun for me as a dad and as a husband to be enjoying this really incredible title with my family. So my wife is playing a file and I am playing a file and we are having very different experiences. We are both playing the same game and ultimately, you know, we're both going to beat Ganon at the end. Sure. But we have had very, very different paths so far and it is really neat to compare notes. Also to have uh, our daughter who watches both of us play kind of call each other out on stuff that the other one has done. <laughs> so, so I can't remember the, I mentioned the story on Mount Olympus, but I'm going to tell it again. Um, my daughter was talking to my mother on the telephone. Uh huh. And I was playing Zelda while she was doing it. So my mom said, hi, Ivy, what's up? And she said, oh, you know, I'm watching dad play Zelda. And then she told my mother, now my dad only has six hearts. My mom has eight hearts. <laughs> so I was getting sassed from my kid. And then it, it, my mother said something along the lines of, oh, it sounds like your dad needs to step it up. And my daughter looked at me, my five-year-old daughter, <laughs> who I am introducing to video games, looked at me and said, yeah, dad, muscle up, buttercup. <laughs> Oh, that is wonderful. It was great. I was It was a real proud moment, but also I was getting video game shamed by my <laughs> five-year-old. All so right, have, have you his, stepped uh, up your game? I have. I have stepped up my game. I am proud to report that I now have more hearts than my wife. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Although not by much. She is, and she, I think, still has defeated more Guardian Beasts than I have. So, eh. <laughs> anyway, all of that aside, what is what is our fourth star? So our fourth star of the week is, listen, this is sort of mundane, but it completely like derailed my entire afternoon. I was um, sitting at work <laughs> and sort of on a whim, I went on Google Maps mm -hmm. Street View to go look at okay. an old place where I used to work. I used to work at this Borders in Solon, Ohio that is... Well, none of the borders exist anymore, but that's the one that I worked at. <laughs> right. I remember that one. I can't remember why specifically, but I was out here once and we came to see you at work. Um, it's, I mean, listen, it was a great store. Uh, yeah. And so I, I got nostalgic and I wanted to like look at the building, but it's not a borders anymore. Now it's like a like a makeup store. Books a million? No, no, it's not one of the ones that got turned into a books a million. It's called like Ultra Beauty and it sells makeup. Um. Oh. And so I did the Google Street View and I went to go look at it and I realized that from certain parts of the parking lot, like Street View, if you got mm -hmm. far enough away from the building, it like the pictures on that were old enough that it was still borders. Wow, no kidding. Like so Google obviously just rolls through every so often and takes new pictures. Yeah, and, and but what I realized then is what they do is they don't delete the old ones. So you can huh. go back, and if there was a Google Street View thing from 2011, as it was in this case, like, you can go back and look at all the old pictures. And so oh, I was wow. able to, like, I was at work that day when the thing went through, so you can, like, see my my first car, my old 1988 Honda Civic, in the parking lot. <laughs> wow, that is weird. And then, like, I went to other places that I was working at the time because I had two jobs. And, I, like, I found this street where I always parked my car. And sure enough, there it was. I just had to go back to 2011. 
Wow. So yeah, I, I that recommend is... that you, if you live in a place that has like multiple Google Earth like Street View drive-bys, that you go back and like compare over the last because they've been doing it for like ten years now. Some of it goes back to 07 at least. Wow. Yeah, that that would not work for me because prior to very recent months, I lived in rural Pennsylvania. Very, very rural Pennsylvania. Yeah, like and it took not street messing view... around rural. <laughs> right. It took Street View a real lying time to get out to us. So yeah, that is uh that is the fourth star. Just like check out that street view, dudes. Have go to take a that take is... a literal, well, a virtual walk down an actual memory lane. <laughs> Wait, take a virtual walk like... down a memory actual lane. There we go. I knew I could that put works. all that together. That did it. Much like everything that Google does that is simultaneously awesome and terrifying. Oh yeah. Thankfully they had at least <laughs> blurred out my license plate numbers. Fair, fair enough. <laughs> but you can see so inside about... the car and you can see like the old like the upholstery on my driver's side like front seat was falling <laughs> apart and so i had this like flash this red flash t-shirt with like the lightning bolt that i would i remember it that i put over that seat sort of as a makeshift seat cover because t-shirts are cheaper than seat covers and i was very yeah. poor and you can like if you squint you can see that t-shirt on that car from you wow, know, man. six years ago in this old Street View thing. <laughs> well, your uh, man, your brief nostalgia trip worked out really well for you. Yeah. <laughs> so I know you teased it uh, fifteen minutes ago or so. What is our fifth and final star of the Super Sentai Buddies? Okay, so our fifth and final star of the week in this special edition of the Super Sentai Buddies is. I so that we are currently on the forty first season of Super Sentai. That's the one that's yeah. going right now. So I have a window pulled up, and uh, I have asked Google to generate a random number between one and forty one. Right on, and whichever number that is, that will be the show that we watch this week. We'll watch the first episode of whatever that is, and I hope that it's good. <laughs> okay, so you are just. I mean, not not entirely pulling a number out of a hat, but you are essentially pulling a number out of a digital hat to kind of determine for us. And this is a real thing. This is real and live time. Yes. To determine for us what we're going to watch. Okay. I hope it does not come up to 16 because then we are just <laughs> going to watch episode one of Cocky Ranger. Okay. Well, if, it, if it's Die Ranger, Cocky Ranger, or Jetman, I will re-roll. Um, but it, <laughs> or is, it is 18. I forget. Whichever one it is. Drum roll, please. 12. Okay, so what is the 12th season of Super Sentai? Let me Google this real quick. I feel bad about my joke from earlier because now I think Kaku Ranger was 18. Uh, I think that you're right, actually. Okay, either way. Hey, you were very close off the top of your head. <laughs> uh... Okay, so the 12th season of Super Sentai... Now, this is counting Go Ranger as season one, not counting um, Battle Fever J as season one. Okay. Just so you know. Starting in the kind of Super Sentai era. Right. Well, I, I think we talked about this ages ago. Oh, by the way, it's Live Man. We're going to be watching the first episode of Choju Sentai Live Man. 
Wow. Which, wait, hold well, on. Is that the one with the super white uniforms? There's a lot of white in those uniforms. It looks like it's an animal theme. And thankfully, Ooh. I can do this one off the top of my head. This can be the first and probably only episode of You Only Live Man Twice. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so we're going to go take a break. We are going to watch episode one of Choju Sentai Live Man. I don't know what it's called. I'll tell you that after the break, and we will be right back. <laughs> All right, welcome back. So we have just finished watching episode one of Choju Sentai Live Man. It is called Friends. Why did you do this? Why did they? Why did they? I want? Okay. Oh, I don't even know where to. Okay, I am so, out of words. So <laughs> this, me... I want to clarify something before you jump in. Sure. Just just one small question because I'm I'm new to this side of the microphone. This is not my usual chair. This this is a children's program, right? Yes, this is a television show for children. Okay. All right. Go go ahead. Okay. So here is here is the thing that I forget every time we do an episode one of any of these things. Um, and that is that the first episode of every Super Sentai show is so, like, jam-packed with stuff (laughs) that I had to pause this thing maybe at least a dozen times to make sure I was writing everything down correctly. Right? Yeah, no kidding, man. Okay, so, the, the name of the episode is Friends, Why Did You Do This? But as we open up, we get a picture of a, like, a shadowy man in a trench coat. Pointing a laser pistol at two butterflies and shooting them until they die. And then you hear the words, uh, which translate roughly to friends, why did you sell your soul to the devil? And then we get our opening sequence. Yeah, it's for a for a podcast that likes to take its name from James Bond movies. It is a little bit of a Bond-esque opening with a long silver gun kind of being drawn and pointed. Uh, I will say, too. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, I want to talk about this opening because there are at least two things in it that are amazing. Yeah, that's I was just going to say. This theme song, right out of the gate. I love this theme song. It took me a while to warm up the Cocky Ranger. Not going to lie. I enjoy the Cocky Ranger theme song now. It took me probably a dozen episodes. This one had me on, like, note number two. Oh, yeah. It is jazzy. And we get to see... All, okay, so we're going to start with three heroes in this one. Now, I know that later in Live Man, there are additional heroes for a total of five. We're not going to see those people this week. We're only going to see the first three. Those three characters are Yosuke, and forgive me if I'm going to pronounce these wrong, uh, but, you know, that's that's sort of our standard disclaimer on the first episode of any of these things. Uh, Yosuke, who will be our Red Falcon. Joe, who is the Yellow Lion. And Megumi, who is the blue dolphin. Now, Red Falcon is introduced in his human guise driving in a convertible, which is a cool thing to do. Uh, Joe is also introduced doing a cool thing on a skateboard. But just before we see Joe on a skateboard, we see a dog on a skateboard. (laughs) Dog on a skateboard in 1989, guys. Way before YouTube was doing it. So if you were worried that this show wasn't great, uh, immediately (laughs) it has gone the other way. So then we meet... Um, uh, Megumi, the blue dolphin, she's riding a bike with no hands, because she's a daredevil, I guess. Yeah. 
We also then see, near the end of this opening sequence, a moonwalking robot. I have that in my notes. Moonwalking robot. Motorcycle fire jump. <laughs> oh, I sw- most of my notes are like that. It's like three words with an exclamation <laughs> yeah. point. Mine, too. My favorite line from the theme song, the lightning bolt of burning love. <laughs> I, I, that, I tried I think, to write down the by a words. picture of jumping dolphins. There were just jumping dolphins in the theme song. Oh, there were absolutely jumping dolphins. And some of them had uh, <laughs> like beach balls on their nose. They sure did. Because this show starts out, opens up with selling your soul to the devil and literally shooting butterflies, and then transitions us to puppies on a skateboard and dolphin tricks. It's It's been an emotional roller coaster. It has. We're two minutes in, and I already do not know what to expect from this show. You know the what le- I didn't expect, though? A science academy island. Oh, you were not expecting Academia Island, where the science <laughs> no. academy is? No, I was not. Okay, so the opening of this show, all of our characters are on what is called Academia Island. Academia Island is like a special science camp for like genius kids who have been handpicked by the UN to design what is essentially the International Space Station. Yep, I can't help but think of this island as Genosha. You know, it's got that sort of, like, late 80s, early 90s science island thing that Genosha has going on. (laughs) Thankfully, it doesn't also have, like, the slavery. Yeah. Listen. Yeah. um, The the weirdest thing about Academia Island... Well, okay, there's a lot of weird things about Academia Island. The thing that jumps out to me the most is that in a Super Sentai show, I am never expecting to see an actor who is not Japanese... Right. But since these are like people from all over the world, there are Japanese students, but there are also like very clearly an international student body. Yeah, yeah. They make a point of kind of showcasing that in a couple of extended like montages and things. Yeah, you get like a bunch of like white and black students who are all speaking English because that's the other language that's available, of course. Right. Yep. One of them is named, I think, Mary Charles. Yes, Mary Charles. Mary Charles is in my notes. And they all have the shared noble goal of making a better world. That is what they are here to do. Well, okay. All but three of them are 100% committed. (laughs) (laughs) So we cut to the classroom. The class is being taught by a Professor Hoshi. And Hoshi, I think, is going to be their, like, mentor character. Yeah, I, th- I think that is the case. Hoshi is, seems to be at least the sort of academic leader of Academia Island. Yeah, like, you know, listen, he he looks like a a science teacher. He is a dude. He's got a lab coat. He's got glasses. It's not a flashy look, but it's a solid one, and I respect it. I want him to be teaching me about Pokemon. Yes, actually. If Hoshi was the name of a tree, then he would be a perfect Pokemon professor. (laughs) So we we cut to this classroom where they're all like doing design work for the space station. Right, because not only do we have Academia Island, we are using Academia Island to work on Academia Spaceship, I think. Yeah, and it's literally just going to be, like, a giant spaceship that goes up and hangs out in orbit so that everyone can, like, do space science. You know, like what we do now in 2017. But this was, what did you say, 1989? 1989, I believe. 
Um, but there are three students in this class who are not interested in helping mankind. And we get right. to the first one. His name is... Sukigata, I think. Sukigata, yes. Uh, and he is played by Super Sentai Brothers fan favorite. Uh, I don't have the actor's name in front of me, but it is Jin Matoba, the Demon Fist from Die Ranger, slash Emperor Tranza from Jetman. Man, I wrote in my notes, I wrote, okay, which other character is this guy because I recognize him, but I couldn't place him. He is two other characters, and I think he's actually been <laughs> in other stuff, too. Like, I think he might have been in a, a Kamen Rider or a Metal Hero, and, like, he probably also played a monster in a different season of a thing. Right. He was a That's fairly awesome. prolific, um, um, what is the word for the show that we are watching? Tokusatsu. <laughs> Sentai. He, <laughs> he was a fairly prolific tokusatsu actor in, like, the late 80s, early 90s. I love that sort of thing about the Sentai franchise, that they do periodically repurpose actors. Uh, I mean, there's one of them that just popped back up as a twin, right? Uh, an episode or so ago in Kaku Ranger. I like that. I like when that happens. I really like it when that happens. Because, yeah, like, you get a bunch of people who are clearly comfortable working in that environment. They're good enough at acting and kung fu. And they make a new show every year. Like, why wouldn't right. you just grab those dudes? The American version of this is Tommy, except he keeps playing the same guy. <laughs> yeah, it would be like if Tommy showed up now, but was a completely different character. I'm sorry, if Jason David Frank showed up now. <laughs> right. I called him Tommy, of course, because that is how I think of him, because I don't think he's ever played any other role. I think Jason David Frank also thinks of himself as Tommy. I think that's fair. I, I've looked at his website. <laughs> anyway, Sukigata is having nothing to do with this stupid, sappy humanitarian garbage. And he displays it by, like, standing up and badly ripping a piece of paper in half. Well, what I love about this is that this was his homework that he was working on on his giant 19, 1989 computer. <laughs> yeah. And so to be able to tear it in half, he had to stop working on his homework, print it out, stand up, and <laughs> then tear it in half. He was committed to demonstrating how much he thought this idea was garbage. And so the professor, Professor Hoshi, says, like, no, 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 listen, this is actually very important because there's science that we can do in space that we can't do on Earth, and this is going to help advance humanity. And he says, no, right. I'm sorry, when I say he, I mean uh, Tsukigata, says, no, this is ridiculous. And then his two friends, who are also dressed like evil, fashionable teens... <laughs> Like, they all have what are very clearly, like, bad guy clothes, but not, like, full-on villain clothes. Like, they both, they're all wearing sort of, like, fancy bow ties that you know are not part of the dress code. Yeah, if, if you took an episode of Project Runway and told the designers that their inspiration was supposed to be the snobby mean kids from Saved by the Bell, this is probably the fashion show you would have come up with. Yeah, yeah, I think that is exactly what we are looking at here. So we've got those three, and then you've got a group of who are clearly the good guys uh, opposing yeah. them. Be and you know that they're the good guys because they're dressed in like block colors and sensible outfits and like a cool jacket. Yep, and there are five of them because, you know, there's always five. So I thought at this moment, I thought to myself, okay, Mark, here are your five friends. These are the guys we need to get to know. These five people. Just get to know and love all five of them equally because they will all be in this show forever. <laughs> right. And those kids, the three bad guy kids, 
after sort of their their dramatic moment, I don't want to say they storm out of the room, but they walk out with purpose. They file out of the room sternly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. So they leave, <laughs> and that's basically like the end of this scene, right? Yeah, there's a Frasier-like kind of credit scene device here. I don't know if that was supposed to be the intro and that this screen is transitioning us in. Oh, you know, I don't know. The the first episodes are always sort of weird because it kind of showcases the opening maybe like out of order a little bit. Like we got a little bit of a cold open, so I'm not exactly sure if we were to watch a second episode of this, if we were to get that same thing coming up again. But now those obviously sinister teenagers walk into an obviously sinister classroom. The lights are all off. This is the nighttime. They're walking like single (laughs) file in step. They sort of stalk through the hallways of the school. And then they go outside. And is it at this point? Okay, no. Never mind. I'm getting ahead of myself in the notes. And I do this not... is where we get the Tron computers. Yes, okay. So it's that beautiful, you, you mentioned it earlier, that really beautiful, specifically mid to late 80s computer era with the giant screens and the real limited color palette and what I always think of as the Tron visuals, the kind of blocky lettering and everything. And the screen has like a a sort of an evil looking face on it or sigil. I couldn't tell if it was supposed to be like a face or an insignia, but it says in English, it says, welcome to Volt. Volt is in all capitals. And then it blinks a few times. And then the screen says, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Strange moment to suddenly insert some English. That same flashing okay is the exact same one that a few years later they would use in Jetman whenever their like oh, yeah. computer stuff was being finished up. Yeah, you are correct. And, and I guess to be fair, this is an international UN run facility. And the UN often uses English as its default language because it's spoken by a large number of populations. So maybe I shouldn't be making fun of this computer for being in English. Maybe that makes sense. I mean, you should be making fun of it for saying welcome to Volt, but... (laughs) Volt, yeah. So we cut from there to our heroes, our good friends who are all doing like... They're all acting like they're fun teens hanging out at like the soda fountain but in fact what they are doing are extremely dangerous science experiments (laughs) yeah they're very like they're very loose they're joshing around they're kind of elbowing each other and they are very clearly having a good time but having a good time as you say doing really really intense high-end scientific experimentation So some of them are working at a console, and then there's this sort of tube thing that opens up. It's like a tube that's bisected um, sort of vertically. So there's sort of like two uh, Two chambers chambers that have doors on them. A few of them sort of like jokingly wrestle their way in past the other three. Like, okay, aha, we are going to be the first two to have the experiments done. There's a friendly competition over who gets to get inside of this bisected tube. But they're they're all laughing the whole time because they're all friends. And they've all been working on this project together and nothing's ever going to happen that's bad. 
also joking and laughing along with them, that dog. Oh, yeah, the skateboard dog. Skateboard dog. So Who, for some reason, is hanging out doing science. Hey, why not? He's It's nighttime. It's, you know, he only skateboards during the day. At nighttime, he is science dog. <laughs> this is one rad dog. I wish the dog was wearing sunglasses. That is the only way this dog could be improved. <laughs> so the two get inside these chambers, and they're like, okay, like, fire the thing up. Like, we are ready. Our good hearts will do anything to help humanity. Run the experiment. I think one of them literally says that. Yep, that is, yeah. It is a very, everything about the first 10 minutes of this show takes great pains to sort of illustrate the good-hearted nobility of these teenagers. Like, they are really in it for the purposes of, A, bettering humanity, and B, hanging out with their bestest friends. Right, which is very different and sort of refreshing coming off of Kaku Ranger, where the first episode was that Sasuke and Saizo are, like, kind of useless. Yeah, and it's not uncommon for Sentai programs to sort of take the first few episodes to force the team to get to know each other. Not always, but that happens, and it is fun in this one to have that friend dynamic already set. Unlike the Power Rangers movie, where we had to spend the first two acts telling you that they knew each other, we just jump right in with these guys clearly being buddies. So, they throw the switch on the thing, it starts like flashing and spinning around, and then it seems like it's moving a little too quickly. And the three who are outside the chamber try to shut it down, but like they can't quite get to it in time. And we're cutting back and forth between this and some like storms that are kicking up outside. And all of a sudden, the machine overloads, and it was standing sort of next to a wall. And it has it's not. not, You are right, but it's not just cutting to the storm. We also get some cuts to the sneaky bad guys doing sneaky things in the dark computer room. Oh, I yes. got the impression that they may have been somehow involved, though I think maybe not. Because they're, we're all sort of moving towards, these two groups are moving towards sort of like eventually colliding. And so we're showing both yes. sort of back and forth. So the machine overloads and the canisters like explode out through the wall. And they're on like the third story of this building. So there's an explosion and they get thrown through the wall and like crash to the ground. The other three run to this hole in the wall and are looking down like, oh my gosh, this is awful. Our friends. And they're looking down at this wreckage like calling to them. So yeah, they're super concerned, but it turns out their friends are totally okay. Don't worry, guys. Because they're wearing protection It's all clear sailing from here. Oh, it's all all right now. (laughs) <laughs> because the, the the nature of the experiment that they were working on was that these chambers were designed to dress them in protective outfits that I assume they were developing for, like, spacewalks and stuff. Yeah, that is the impression I got as well. The chambers kind of kit them out in protective, kind of white-ish, silvery suits. Right, which, A, is really... F- it's, it's very cool... Because it's a nice foreshadowing for transforming into superheroes with, like, super protective suits later on in the episode. Right. Um, It's also very convenient because these two people did not just die from an explosion caused by their best (laughs) friends. Yeah. And it turns out to be a good test of those suits, right? They were testing out protection suits. Yeah. One of them's got a little picture of a dog on the chest. One of them has a little picture of a bird on the chest. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's it's functional it's fun, and fashionable. Yeah, it's a fun late 80s oh, maybe this is what fancy space stuff would look like kind of vibe. Right, right. <laughs> and this whole episode honestly has that. It has, because by the by the late 80s, we had been to space a number of times. You know, we've kind of started figuring it out. But our vision of outer space, like of future tech, still had this kind of blocky, robotic feel to it. Yeah, and when you but, run that through the filter of the low budget of Sentai, of Sentai programs, it really comes out fun. What it really sort of reminds me of is like that particular era of Lego space toys. Yeah, you're right. You know the ones that I'm talking about? Yeah. They like had, not the early like, 90s ones. No, no. But yeah, you're right. It almost has a Lego-ish sort of... Uh, an 80s Lego spaceship vibe to it. So, speaking of spaceships... <laughs> right. All of a sudden, we have a UFO touching down outside of the Science Academy. And weirdly, it's causing a clock nearby to go haywire. The arms are just like... Not arms. That's not how you describe the things on a clock. The hands. That's, right. that's typically how you would describe the things on a clock. The hands on the clock start spinning indiscriminately. It's an effect that is often used in low-budget sci-fi movies, but generally to portray something going haywire with the timeline or such. Right, not just a spaceship. So I was a little confused (laughs) here for a minute. As was I. But the spaceship lands, the, uh, like the, the gangplank, I guess, what's that called? The, the yeah, maybe a gangplank. The thing you walk up to get into the spaceship extends down, and those three evil kids from earlier just kind of stride out as if they were expecting this spaceship, which I guess they were. Yeah, and like they start to walk up the ramp, and they are confronted by our five good students. Yeah, like e- evil student number one, uh, Sukigata. He turns around, he like tears the Science Academy patch off of his jacket and throws it on the ground. Very and they, dramatic. And they try to stop them. They're like, Sukigata, other two characters, what are you doing? <laughs> they're going to space. That's what they're doing. But not before they take that silver laser gun out from the opening and shoot some people. Oh, yes. So they aim it back at our heroes. And the two that are wearing these suits, and I, this is actually very reasonable. Like, they're like, oh, we are wearing these super protective suits. We will jump in front of our friends to, like, block whatever attack this is. Right. Unfortunately, Sukigata had apparently been designing this super laser in sort of uh, to be of a similar strength to their super protective suits. Yeah, his tech is superior. And so we get, like, a real mirroring of what happened in that cold open, where, like, a dude turns around with a silver laser gun and shoots down these, like, two shiny figures. In the beginning, yeah. it was, like, a guy in a trench coat shooting two butterflies, but here it's Tsukigata shooting down... Did we get the name of these two characters? Yeah, they are uh, Takuji and Mari. Okay. And they go down. Like, they go down, down. Right, and we get the sense, both earlier in this episode and a little later, that they are sort of the golden children within this group. Like, within this team of five, they are 
So, so we mentioned earlier that the point of Space Academy, or at least one of the points of Space or of Science Academy, was to build Space Academy. And we will find out shortly that these two were meant to be on the pilot team, or at least that was their goal. Right. So these are sort of the the you know the two special butterflies, so to speak. Yeah, and I, I think they seem a little younger than the other three as well. Yeah, I got that sense too. And maybe that's just the way that like the actors were playing it, but they definitely right. seem to be like the little brother of the group. Yeah, it, the show really takes a lot of pains to sort of illustrate their innocence. And I think part of that is an almost childlike like childlike wonder and awe. They really they you're right, they come off young. Not like children, but you know, they come off young. Right. Which makes it a real bummer cuz like those two dudes and I realize we've sort of like moved away from the thread of the story to talk about how like sweet these children were. They just got shot in the face with a laser gun and now they're dead. Like they are <laughs> dead, dead. And in case you thought they weren't dead, we are like the thunder starts to roll in, the rain starts to fall and we are given an extended scene of the surviving three characters weeping in the rain. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a really dark scene i mean the whole like from here on out the episode will be dark but this scene is really a bummer it's well shot uh, especially for a program that we often kind of make fun of for its cinematography but it is i kind of noticed that about the whole episode and frankly that is something that as i have watched a bunch of these sentai shows i feel like they do put more care into the first episode to give it that sort of like those interesting right. angles and shots that might not necessarily be coming out in the later, like, episode, like, Monster of the Week episodes. But this episode yeah. is, like, it's very interestingly shot. It's full of extras. They did tons of, like, set and design work for it. Like, they did. this show really puts you in it very effectively. Yeah. And this scene, I mean, there's even a moment in this scene where we get a a well-shot, dramatic moment of that patch that that uh, Sukagata ripped off of his shirt, like laying in a puddle, getting covered in mud and rain with lightning in the background. Uh, Professor Hoshi comes scene. out. It's a very sad scene. Professor Hoshi comes out to like see what's been going on, and he finds like the other three sitting around the bodies of the two killed students. And they're, like, taking off their jackets and laying them over the faces of their friends. <laughs> they and are like, giving them death shrouds. Like, this scene goes on for so long that I put it in my notes twice. Like, <laughs> I finished writing the note, and then it kept going. Like, I guess I gotta write it down again. Yeah, it's a dark scene, my friends. Uh, oh, and then and, the spaceship and, takes off. Yep, off to space. And it docks creepily with some sort of giant tech space base. Which apparently is just up there hanging out. Yeah. Science Science Island thought that it was making the first space base. That is not the case. There's already one up there, you guys, and it is bad news. You would have thought that Science Space would have had, like, a telescope to look that up, but right. whatever. <laughs> and then two years pass. Yeah. And just to make... Ex- in case the the bloody muddy rain and the death shrouds were not enough 
we come back out of this two-year-later cut to tombstones. Yep. These white, beautiful tombstones <laughs> that are, like, sitting on the cliff, overlooking the waters at, like, a beautiful beach at Academia Island. Note, yep. the, the bodies of these students have not been, like, sent home to where they are from to be with their families. <laughs> That's a good point. So committed were they to the ideals of this island that they were buried within its soil. Right. They are citizens of Academia Island. They have no other home. <laughs> and, and listeners, don't worry. If we have not yet emphasized the death of these two people enough, there'll be another good moment before we end. Oh, yeah. So we cut from there to the graduation ceremony. And they're all wearing what essentially look like... like what, naval cadet outfits? Like the all-white suits yeah. with, like, captain hats, basically? Yeah. Big, like, every every student of the island is standing around. There's a brass band in the background. There's a grandstand where uh, Professor Hoshi is talking. And Professor Hoshi is announcing the names of all of the students who have been chosen to be part of the initial pilot team for the space satellite. And this is, by right. the way, we mentioned Mary Charles earlier. This is where Mary Charles gets a shout out. And she, in English, says, she speaks in English and obviously it's her native language. But the way that she is saying those words does not make it sound like she was supposed to have been speaking English properly. It's like no, how we used to complain strange. about Jiraiya sounding weird. Yeah, it is. it is as though the extra that was cast to play Mary Charles got really caught up in the specific enunciations and speech patterns of the Japanese language that she was hearing around her and delivered her English lines with that same sort of enunciation pattern of the Japanese language. And I know that that sounds a little wonky. I don't know if I'm explaining that well, but that's what it felt like to me. No, yeah, I, I 100% understand what you are saying, and that is true. And there's actually a few of the uh, pilot crew who are sort of similarly American-sounding. Um, yeah, there was again, a Greg it's, it's a very in there cool somewhere. moment in a show that doesn't often give you that sort of international cast. Yeah, and it is. There's, there's what, maybe a dozen or so students selected? Yeah. And this is, if you will recall, this was the goal of, of Takuji and Mara, who died two years ago. This, they wanted to be part of this team. Oh, and by so, the way, the three surviving students from, you know, like our heroes are not selected to be part of the pilot crew. I was genuinely surprised by that. I was too. Like the last couple of people that they were showing, like as they were saying the names, I was trying to look at the names on the screen and then look at the names that I had written down in my little like cheat sheet. Right. Like, wait, is that is that the guy? No, I don't think that's him, but they're all dressed yeah. the same because they're all wearing their graduation uniforms. And so I yeah. like I had initially written down like our heroes go to space and then I had to like in the margins of my notes write do not go to space. <laughs> yeah, it is it not what I was ex I was expecting more of a Jetman vibe. Yeah, where like the one surviving guy got to be the, the Jetman even though like his all of his fellows had died. Right, right, and we'd be in some kind of outer space base, and that would be kind of our location for this show. Nope. Uh, no, not at all. So we cut away to 
our three friends, uh, Yusuke, Joe, and Megumi, and they are back at those tombs. Yes. This time they Remember have flowers. Remember these people are dead. We just need to keep driving it home. And in case you have forgotten what they looked like since the commercial break, they have <laughs> yeah. photographs of the two dead friends who they lay on, like they lay the photographs, framed photographs, by the way, on the graves next to the bouquets right. of flowers. Yes. And then eventually, uh, Megumi, I think it was, begs the professor, Hoshi, into letting her put those photos on the spaceship because it was always the dream of those two to go to space. Yes. And Hoshi's like, oh, yes, of course, I understand. Yeah. Like a kind man with a good heart, he agrees to this very reasonable proposal. So we cut, speaking of something going to space, we cut to, like, the launch sequence countdown. And it's shot very cool. It, you know, like, you can tell that there are control center rooms all over the island. And it's cutting yeah. from, like, you know, control room one to control room two to, like, inside the space station to people standing outside watching it. Right. You get a quick shot of them setting up the photographs, like, on a shelf inside the space station, in which people are just sitting, like an office. Yeah. Like, they're not strapped yeah. in as though it is a rocket ship. <laughs> that, is very, that is a fair observation. But again, for a, for a Sentai program in the late 80s, you can tell they spent some extra time on this one. Oh, absolutely. This is another really good sequence. And then they blast off into outer space, and it's very exciting. Yeah, well, okay, they blast off... Towards outer space. <laughs> yeah. this they is... are intercepted, unfortunately, by a couple of evil-looking sort of alien fighter jets that fly in from out of the clouds. Yeah, I kept referring to them as the robot dragonflies. Yeah, they do have a sort of a dragonfly look, but like the back tail of the dragonfly can sort of swing down like and like hit things or zap lasers or something. There's a lot of red lightning yeah. coming out of those things. Yeah, and it, it takes this very triumphant moment, very dark. And like we said, they set it up very well. So the, the scene had this feeling of hope and triumph and success. And it, it, it makes that very dark very fast. And it is worth noting, uh, and we may cut this out of the discussion. We'll see. This is only three years after challenger and I, you know I, only, I was wondering about that i noted that because i grew up as i think you did as well with uh with a mother who was very invested in my sort of social education mm -hmm. um and so when i was a kid like in kindergarten while i waited for the bus she used to quiz me on members of the current president's cabinet that sort of thing like my mom took pains to make sure I was getting a proper social education. For instance, I remember watching the Berlin Wall fall because my mom made me watch it on television because she said it was going to be important. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I absolutely remember that. Right. Uh, and, and when I was four years old, I was living in Dallas, Texas. My family had moved very suddenly. It was a very tough and weird time in my life. And it's some of my earliest memories because, you know, four is right about when you start focusing in on things and can kind of call like some of your memories you can you can pull from that time. Mm -hmm. And because it was a very traumatic time in my life, I have some very sharp memories of that move. My younger brother was born in Texas, so I remember a lot about the hospital. I remember specifically uh, scorpions and sharp grass. Basically, Texas wants to kill you like all of Texas wants to kill you sure. all of the time. 
Maybe that's why they all we... carry guns all the time. They just need to shoot Texas <laughs> back. <laughs> while we were there, Challenger happened. And my mother, being the good mother that she was, made me watch it. She's like, hey, Mark, you need to watch this. It's going to be important someday. And I have very, like, very limited, very limited, but very vivid memories of the Challenger explosion. And that's why this seemed, when I saw it, I immediately thought Challenger. Because it's fiction and it's a kid's program. But those memories, that setup of, like, hope and triumph in the spirit of mankind and just the, the, like, all of the things that humanity can be just so cruelly ripped away in the very next moment. The show does a good job of capturing that. It does a really good job. It's a, it's a, okay, but I mean, we've sort of been talking around it. They shoot the space station down. Like, the space station gets blown up and crashes to Earth in a giant fireball. And we get one more scene of those two friends, their photographs kind of burning up as the ship is shot down. They die one more time. Just in case it wasn't enough. They have to die before and (laughs) after the commercial break. Yeah. And then we follow that up with those dragonfly ships just sort of raising Science Island. Oh, yeah. And this is... I was talking earlier about, like, the production values that had gone into this episode. The stuff that they're doing here with, like, the miniatures and the all of the... Like, they're blowing up cars. And it's all, you know, this is 1989. It's all, like, practical fire explosions. Yeah. It looks really, really good. It's the sort of it thing does. that, like, it's kind of hard to find in a TV show these days because they'd sort of... You know, there are easier ways to do it now. So it's not, like, yeah. covered in explosion dust all the time. Right. You don't get those practical effects. Um, which I know makes but me both. sound like a very old man complaining about how like I really want like 1980s TV explosions. But listen, dig up this episode. It really looks great. It does. And you get both near and far shots that both work. So there's some kind of classic cagey moments with a giant monster spaceship destroying a model city that looks very good and then there's some very up close moments like what you were describing of buildings blowing up and missiles hitting the ground and our heroes just kind of diving out of the way still very yeah so speaking of our heroes diving out of the way they like you know there's explosions all over the place they get sort of separated but they all eventually make their way back to like a central location yeah in that kind of classic crawling out of the rubble much like what you were saying a minute ago about missing, like, the dust and whatever of that practical scene. Uh-huh. This is the human version of that. They, they're crawling oh, yeah. out of the rubble. Their hair's mussed up. Their face is covered in dust. Like, they've got, like, red paint on them to signify yeah. blood. And there's sort of, like, dirt stuck to the red paint. But they all find each other. Like, they all come back together sort of in the center of Science Island. And they turn to each other and say, who, who could have done this? And then, as if on cue, because it is a cue, because this is a television show, <laughs> um, like, one of the same UFOs that we had seen in the first bit of the episode two years ago lands, and out walk three very familiar, although not looking exactly the same, uh, evil students. Yep. This time they are dressed like a combination of... The Master Robots from Mega Man and the Lost Boys from Hook. Yes, that is exactly what they look like. (laughs) 
and it's I'm not gonna lie, it's a good look. I like that look. It is a good look. They've and like if you had been watching along in our previous seasons, they have sort of like a proto virum look, but a little bit more feathery. Yeah. yeah, that's a very that's very accurate. And so they walk up and our heroes turn to them and are like, dudes. What what are you doing? Why are you here? Why do you look like this? Like and uh Sukigata looks at them all and says, "Oh, these third-rate creatures are still alive." <laughs> right. Which very dismissive. Yusuke is not happy about. Or Yusuke? No. Probably whatever. You know what I mean. <laughs> the Red Ranger. Well, will be shortly. Right. He is and not we, thrilled about this. So we get our explanation as to where they have been, because like you said a second ago, the heroes say, you know, what, what, why are you doing this? What, hap- what happened? And the explanation comes in the form of a flashback where we see our three bad guy teenagers meeting someone named Grand Professor Bias. Yes, and they all kneel down to him as though they recognize him from something else. So they clearly had been that's in right. contact with him. And he is absolutely like space Darth Vader Michael Jackson. Yes. He is if I Shinsuke Nakamura it. had come from space in 1989. Yes. It's it's just great. It is. Uh, this episode is so good. This is Grand Professor Bias, who is, I think, the leader of Volt. Yes. And so uh, Sukigata says... We are no longer humans because uh, Yus- Yusuke is like, how dare you still call yourself human after doing all this to these people? He's like, no, 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 we're not human. We gave up our humanity on that day. Now we are the Brain Army Volt. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. yes, my friends. They're the Brain Army. The Brain Army. <laughs> oh, and, and they've all got new names now and fancy titles because now they're oh. all doctors. Which is really what they wanted. They went they went to a lot of extremes to be able to get that PhD. They were they were shortcutting the rigorous academic demands of Science Island to accelerate their own personal degree programs at the expense of their humanity. So we got three evil doctors. Uh Sukigata is now Dr. Kemp. Yep. Um the woman of the three is Dr. Mazenda, and right. the guy, the third guy, who we haven't actually seen much of, although his no, bow tie was much he's... larger than Sukigata's <laughs> initially. Uh, he is Dr. Ablar. Yeah. And they have come back, uh, according to, I think, the lady doctor. Uh, Dr. Mazenda. Dr. Mazenda, thank you. They have come back to clean up the trash, by which they mean they're human friends. Yes, because the Earth must be led by geniuses, such as them and Professor Bias. Yep. And then she just starts shooting them with guns from literally every part of her body. Yes, Dr. Mazenda is just gun, like she is all gun. Like, in this instance, she's using a finger gun, but later she will have an elbow gun and a hand gun yep. and an arm gun. Yep. And when you say handgun, you do not mean a small gun that fits in her hand. No, her no, hand no. just becomes a gun. It's so good. It, it, it is. So these, these three clearly have traded in their humanity. Yes. And for her, that takes the form 
of some sort of weird robot android gun machine. Yes. For Dr. Kemp, it takes the form <laughs> of Beautiful Beast Kemp. Beautiful Beast... How, how, how can we even begin to describe Beautiful Beast Kemp? Man, I do not know. Okay. And again, this is going to require you to have seen some Jetman. So, listeners who are newer to the show, if you haven't listened yet, I guess you'll just have to Google a picture of Beautiful Beast Kemp. But the best that I can describe is if you remember what Radigat's, like, weird bat form looked like. Yeah. But then erase all the, like, keep the same general shape, but change all the textures so he's kind of covered in, like, blue and pink plumage. Do you remember, and this is a bit of a, a of a of a reach, do you remember William the Worm from the Labyrinth movie? Oh gosh. Um He looks like that. That weird furry plumage, the same kind of strange face. He looks like a cross between that guy and Beast from the X-Men. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Listen, we're having to go a long way to describe this dude, because it is a look and a half. It is. It's it's such a and and so Sentai often has that very sort of rubber suit look to their monsters. Mm-hmm. Th- this guy is not that at all. Yeah, he's very. He's just so fuzzy. The texture's all wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it kind of works. Yeah, and I guess that's what makes him so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. He is beautiful, Beast Kemp. And so he, after having transformed into beautiful Beast Kemp, looks at our heroes and says, this, this is the power that we got when we transformed. This is what we have spent the last two years learning, and now we are back to crush you. Yep. But, thankfully, our friends are not empty-handed, because they have also spent the last two years in preparation, apparently for this exact situation. Yes, they have been preparing as well, and they are now, and I'm quoting here, the warriors who protect all living things. <laughs> yes, they are. And they have spruced up the protection suits from earlier in the, from two years ago, to what we know now as the live man suits. That kind of white focused suit with the colorful vests over top. Those are the protection suits. Yeah. And they've all got, like, animal-shaped helmets. So, okay, this is what we've got. We've got Red Falcon, who, if you watch Jetman, he just looks like Red Hawk. He looks sort of like a like a clunkier version of Red Hawk, but it's yeah. the same outfit. And he even has the same weapons. Like, he has that long, straight sword, and he's got a blaster. Like, yeah, this is Falcon very, sword. very clearly when they made Jetman, it feels... I mean, yeah. Jetman was also super influenced by Gachaman. Sure. Um, but it feels like this guy's proto Red Hawk. Yeah, I think that's very accurate. And there's also Yellow Lion and Blue Dolphin. Yes. And man, do I love a good henshin. I just, I love it. Oh, it's so good. I'm a little surprised that the Blue Ranger wasn't a shark. Because I feel like a lot of times when we get an animal-themed team, the Blue Ranger will be a shark, and then they do this weird attack where, like, they bring their right hand down while they're bringing their yeah. left hand up as though the they are mimicking attack. a shark biting someone. 
Yep. <laughs> they do it in Sun Vulcan. They do it. Oh, what was I just watching where they were doing it? Um, I'm, I'm completely forgetting now. Um, oh, it was uh, Gal Ranger, which was okay. Power, which became Power Rangers Wild Force. It was that same thing. Okay. Um, but so th- these guys are great. They're they're so great, and then we just get a good old Sentai fight scene. Yeah. So, um, Red Falcon has a sword. Blue Dolphin has a bow and arrow, like you know, like an energy bow and arrow, like the pink Mighty Morphin Ranger. Yeah. Um, and from what I can tell, Yellow Lion doesn't have a weapon, but he does seem like he is probably stronger than other people. Yeah. At one yeah, point, he got... landed right next to a barrel, and I really thought he was going to pick the barrel up and throw it at someone. And when he didn't, I was genuinely surprised and disappointed. <laughs> You're right. He has that vibe, that which is not uncommon for Sentai programs, that there's the one guy who's sort of the brute strength guy. Yeah, and very often it's the yellow guy for yeah, yes. reasons. <laughs> so they fight for a while they fight some kind of robot putties i know they said the name of it and i didn't write it down there was a lot happening on the screen the coolest thing about <laughs> these robot putties is that they they get knocked apart but then the pieces continue to work on their own yeah, so like, independent pieces retain agency yeah so like one of the heads gets knocked off but like the head flies away and it still has lasers coming out of its eyes yeah yeah that was a real good moment and then a yellow lion sh- like pulls out his laser pistol, shoots the arm off of one of them, but then the arm just like jumps up and grabs onto his throat and starts choking him out. <laughs> yeah, it does. Uh, and things while the, while they are fighting very well, they are badly outnumbered, and eventually that kind of catches up with them. Yeah, and like they end up getting cornered by Doctor Mazenda. Oh, by the way, so Doctor Kemp. Beautiful beast camp at this point, like th- right? picks up Yellow Lion and like throws him through a wall and like halfway across the island. Doctor Mazenda yeah. corners Red Hawk and no, I'm sorry, it's Red Falcon. <laughs> Red Hawk is Jetman. Um, corners Red Falcon and Blue Dolphin and is just shooting all manners of like body part guns at them. <laughs> yeah. And, it, and she says, like, listen, uh, live man, it is over. Like, I've got you now. Like, your one friend is dead. Well, three now, total. Um, and, like, I'm about to kill you two. When all of a sudden, we get the yellow lion returning. And it's not just yellow lion, yeah, the dude. It is also L- yellow lion, the giant robot yellow lion. And it's so good. And you can see... You can see the shift that Sentai is making towards the 90s programs that become the Power Rangers that we are so familiar with, because we're only a couple of years away from Power Rangers, from from Die Ranger. We're a handful of seasons away. Yeah. And you can see the robots starting to get more and more of that very specific toyetic look to them. Oh, yeah. Very interestingly, actually, this is the first year that the individual robots are um, animal-shaped. No kidding. Previously, all of the robots had all just been vehicles that clicked together. I think this is the case. I tried to do a quick little, like, live man Google in between part one and part two of this episode. Uh, But I think that is the case. And if it is the case, then 
first of all, they came out of the gate swinging because Yellow Lion looks amazing. And you can tell that they're proud of him because they show him running for like a good while. We get a nice long sequence of it. Yeah, we do. And it's great. I love every minute of that sequence. Uh, He's running around. He's got these giant cannons on his back that are just like shooting all of the planes out of the sky. He jumps into the air and like grabs one in its jaws and then lands and kills the thing. Yeah, throws it into a mountain. And then Yellow Lion, like he's getting zapped at from these uh, dragonfly ships and he runs in between these two mountains. But there's no like other end to that mountain pass. And so he just breaks straight through the other (laughs) side of the mountain wall. (laughs) Yeah. It's so good. Everything about this episode is so good. It's really great, but unfortunately, it's over. This is the end of the first episode of Choju Sentai Live Man. And I suspect that in the next episode, we're going to get the other two robots and that they're going to, like, fight off the the brain army vault (laughs) and win. But uh, that, that is all that we get this week. And just at the very, very end, we get a, a, a short look at, so we had those, those three evil kids who came back and clearly are more than human now. And we mentioned earlier that one of them is just like robot gun machine. Uh-huh. One of them is the beautiful beast. And for a very brief second at the end of the episode, we get a shot of what the third one is, which appears to just be like Satan mouth. Oh, I did not see that. Yeah, the the third one at the end kind of opens opens his mouth real wide and like his eyes get black and he's got these crazy like spiky teeth. Oh wow. It's it's, it's real I weird should and go it looks back and like check that out. It looks like something out of a uh ah drat, I just lost the name of the director. The uh, guy who did Pan's Labyrinth. Oh, he did um, a Hellboy Del Toro. Yeah, it looks very much like a Sentai-ized version of a Guillermo del Toro monster. All right, I will definitely have to go back and look at that. Yeah, and that's it. That that is that is how we end this very good and very dark episode one of Live Man. Yeah. So okay, now obviously this this episode is what we are doing now is sort of like a weird one-off, right? Like yeah. theoretically, next week. Uh, Dave's life will have calmed down enough that he can, <laughs> right. like you know, throw an throw an hour together to watch this show with me again, and we can get back to Cocker Ranger. Do you want to like have a like a like an ending segment chat about what you think would happen in Live Man if we were to continue to watch it? Man, that sounds fun. And one thing I do want to note in our kind of end cap, and it ties into several things you and I have talked about earlier, with Red Falcon being kind of a proto Red Hawk, and with the changeover of of the robots and everything something i am learning as i watch more and more sentai series is just how much they really build on themselves as they go like you can see the influence of previous seasons of sentai in newer seasons of sentai and it's interesting to watch the evolution kind of across generations so to speak of this program it really really is and I know what I would, I would love to go to the Tokusatsu Museum in Japan um, to like see all of this stuff like all together. I, I did see one picture there of a thing where they've got like all of the different Red Rangers that have like bird themes and wings all together. Oh, wow. Because there have been a few of them at this point. That sounds really cool. Um, 
the thing that I really want to know, and I might, I might try to watch more of Live Man later, or I might just go on Wikipedia and look this up. Oh man, all I want to do is watch Live Man now. It was so good, dude. That's that's the problem with watching the first episode of these shows. It's like I've got other stuff to do, and I have another half of Cocker Ranger to watch, and I'm excited <laughs> about that. But all I want to do now is watch Live Man. But I really want to know. Are those two super dead characters actually dead, or are they going to come back and be the last two live men? Right. Yeah. I mean, so clearly we've got some things going on. Grand Professor Bias seems to be the big bad, although at least, you know, the big bad for the first part. Right. We've got the the brain vault happening, which is our bad guys. And then I know that we... So there are two more characters. One of them, I think, is a... A bison. The okay. the black ranger is black bison, and the green ranger is green. What are they? Hold on, just a second. That is a fun color combo. I I know we have you know six seven colors that we rotate in eight once you start considering your occasional whites and and purples, but I like black green blue yellow red. That's a good combo. Oh, it's a rhinoceros. Oh, nice. Green is the green rhinoceros, or whatever Japanese for rhinoceros is. And actually, this is not the last time that we will get a black ranger that is like buffalo or bison themed. And Gal Ranger, the black ranger, is like has horns, like a bull. Okay. And of course, we get uh, uh, Mastodon. Yes. Yes, we do. So, yeah. Huh. Yeah. Anyway, so that's uh, that's that that will do it for this episode of You Only Live Man Twice. <laughs> Actually, what should probably happen is that on another occasion, you and I should do one more of these episodes so that we can truly live man twice. <laughs> yeah, we that needs to happen. Now that you've put that idea into the universe, I think we have to do it. Listen, it's it is also the reason why I want to at some point revisit episodes of Die Ranger so that we can do Die Ranger another day. Yeah. Is it a terrible so maybe, idea? Sure it is, but it's such a good <laughs> title. But it's so good. So maybe you and I independently watch Live Man over the next several months and we'll do a review of the final episode someday to close this off. That would be very fun. Because I've got, listen, I'm not watching ahead on Cocker Ranger. I've got to be watching something. <laughs> okay, but we we have been doing this for way too long. Listeners, I apologize that this is probably a super long episode and more than you expect from us normally. But right now, this is going to do it for another episode of, well, yeah, for this episode of You Only Live Man Twice. Uh, before we finish up here, I want to remind you, you can email the show at supersentibrothers at gmail.com. You want to get any updates on future episodes or check out the things that we're talking about on Twitter, we are at Super Sentai Bros. If you like the show, and I hope that you do, please remember that shining in the iTunes review section, there are five stars. Please rate, review, and subscribe on there. That's what's going to help new people find the show. Super Sentai Brothers are a production of Retrograde Orbit Radio. Mark, since you're here, why don't you tell us about at least one other great Retrograde Orbit Radio show? Yes, we've got a couple other things going. One of them is the Mount Olympus podcast, which is essentially this program, but instead reviewing Hercules, the legendary journeys and Xena warrior princess going in airing order. So I think we are up to the 10th episode of Xena now, which is something like the 28th episode of our show as a whole. We also have a Mara Eurovision, which reviews the Eurovision song contest. 
and is hosted by a husband-wife team uh, that is part of the Retrograde Orbit radio family. Eurovision is gearing up. We are just about to this year's Eurovision, and that is a fun show, too. To find those great shows, uh, just head over to RetrogradeOrbitRadio.com. So thanks for joining us. Uh, We have been the Super Sentai Buddies. I'm Matt. (laughs) I'm Producer Mark. And we will see you next week for the greatest show on Earth.